In the famous passage when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the Jordan, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God in fulfilling the Passover imagery. And in Revelation chapter 5, he is pictured once again as the Lamb slain for our sin. He is the center of what happens there in Revelation 5, the center of worship in heaven. And we're going to learn more about worthy is the Lamb today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, you can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Revelation 5, Worthy is the Lamb. The Bible is filled with this imagery of redemption. As I mentioned, we are studying it right now in the book of Ruth with the idea of a kinsman redeemer. In uh, scrolls and looking at this, uh, what this represents, I think most of you have heard that the majority of scholars believe that this represents the title deed to the earth. It represents a deed that can only be redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. Someone has to have the right and authority to open this scroll, break its seals, and then be able to finish a transaction that is linked to this imagery. Uh, Hebrew title deeds required a minimum of three witnesses and three separate seals, with more important transactions requiring more witnesses and seals. Uh, One writer says, but what is is this remarkable scroll? It is nothing less than the, the title deed to the earth itself. This is not explained in the immediate context, but it is clearly the antitype of all the rich typological teaching associated with the divinely specified procedures for land redemption in the Old Testament. So how does this work exactly? The Bible clearly teaches that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So how in the world would God need to buy back the earth if it already belongs to him? Why would there need to be a title deed to the earth? And why would there need to be a redemption of a world that already belongs to God? Well, here's how this works. In the garden, God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the fish and the uh, crawling things and the birds of the sky. And man had dominion. And man had a usurper come into paradise and steal that dominion. Adam gave it up, as it were. He was kicked out of the garden. And he gave up that dominion by virtue of his sin. And he lost his position or their position as king and queen of the earth. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is called the God of this world. Some of you may wonder, how how could Satan be the God of this world? I thought God made the world. God did make the world. It does belong to him. But in some sense, Adam lost it or gave up dominion to another usurper. He lost it. The land was given up. And this is what has occurred. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of places to dig this out. I want you to go to first to the book of Leviticus. 25. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We'll spend a few moments looking at this idea of redemption and land uh, redemption and how this all works. Leviticus 25. Look at verse 23. Leviticus 25, 23. 
The land, moreover, 25, 23, shall not be sold permanently, for God says the land is mine. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Thus, for every piece of your property, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. 25, 25. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property. Then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. Or in, ca in case a man has no kinsman, but so recovers his means so as to find sufficient, uh, as to find sufficient for his, its redemption, then he shall calculate the years since its sale, refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and so return his property. Here's the essence of it, and I, and I want you to go to Jeremiah uh, 32, and I'll explain the essence of this. So, if you owned land as an Israelite, and somehow you lost the land, you became poor, uh, all the way to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, and you lost it. Even with that loss, it wasn't a permanent loss. It could still be redeemed by a kinsman. Here, I'll use the example of the land of Israel. The land of Israel belongs to God. Would you agree? Okay. However, through the centuries, has Israel always been in that land? The answer is no. In fact, there's a debate even today as to who has the right to Jerusalem. Should the capital of Israel be Jerusalem? Trump wants to move our, uh, what do you call it? Our embassy to Jerusalem. There's debate about that. It's become a hotbed of activity. And, and up until uh, our recent past, the Jews weren't even in the land. Did the land belong to God? Yes. But the people of Israel forfeited the land. How so? They did not recognize the time of their visitation. Their house was left to them desolate. Jesus walked out of the temple courts, you know, towards the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem fell in AD 70 and took them almost 2,000 years to get back in the land. Here's my point. The land was uh, lost for a time, but not permanently lost. The connection goes from the land of Israel to the world. Stay with me. The world belongs to God, so could never be permanently lost by the actions of Adam. But the world had to be redeemed by a kinsman who was worthy. That's why Jesus becomes human. He is the last Adam. He is the kinsman redeemer. He must become a man to buy back what Adam lost. So the second Adam or the last Adam becomes the kin for humanity, pays the redemption price, which is not silver and gold. He doesn't buy back the earth by silver and gold, but by his own what? Precious blood, which we're told in 1 Peter 1:17 and following. Here's the imagery. Now, this is interesting as it ties to the land of Israel, going from kind of a, a type to the reality of the whole earth. Jeremiah 32, look at verse 6. Now, we do know from the book of Jeremiah that Israel's going into a captivity for extra credit. How many years? 70 years, right? We know it's going to happen. The book of Jeremiah has this background, and Jeremiah 32.6 is told, the word of the Lord comes to him, Jeremiah 32.7, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shulam, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and he said to me, Buy my field, please, that is at Anathoth, 
which is in the land of Benjamin. This is in the promised land. For you have the right of possession and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. That I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Uh, verse 9. And I bought the field which was at Anathoth from Hanamel, my uncle's son. And I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed and sealed the deed and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deeds of purchase, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. Let me just pause here for a second. How many of you have done a mortgage before? Raise up your hand. How many of you stopped looking at what you're signing about 15 minutes into the process? This one means this. This one, you could have signed your whole life away, right? You got to sign like 5,700 times. This is for this. This is for that. Then what they do is they give you a copy of what you signed with the intention that you will go home and look at what you signed. Do you ever go home and look at what you signed? Some of you who are meticulous organizers, do do it. Oh, we're so proud of you. But for most of us, we take the little folder thing, we put it somewhere, and that's it. How much do I got to pay per month? That's all I really need to know. I hope I still own this property, right? That's pretty much how it goes. Okay, so a second copy is made, and he, he says... Uh, He's using the language of sealing. He says, 12, I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Maseah, in the sight of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the sight of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I commanded Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, this sealed deed of purchase, and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar that they may last a long time. Why? Because they're going to go into captivity. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. After I, I had uh, given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Would you go back to Revelation 5? Here's the deal. Some of you may be wondering, well, when, when I hear people say that the, the scroll on the right hand of him who sat on the throne is the title deed to the earth, how do they know that? Well, here's how we know. We start making connections to Jeremiah and Leviticus and other places, and we can see there's this common theme that runs through some of these transactions. And it, it could have to do with slaves, and it could have to do with land purchases. But what's really at the heart of this story is what's going to happen to planet Earth? Is it going to be redeemed? Think about it. This, this week I was reading a, a commentator, and he said, just think about it for a second. Think about if there was no Jesus. Just pause. Just ponder. Think about it. If there's no Jesus, what happens to this world? Where's it headed? What's going to happen? Well, what's, what's the question that's before us is, okay, is there someone who can redeem this place? You know, look around. You see what's happening, right? And we keep hoping some man's going to show up and fix it, but I'm sure you've noticed, track record's not real great on people fixing this place. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael 
in a moment. Pastor Michael Lance would like to invite your kids to Vacation Bible School at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. This year, kids learn about the Israelites' time in Egypt. They'll explore God's goodness and celebrate a ferocious faith that powers them through this wild life. Each day at VBS, kids travel through rotations with crafts, music, and games, all for the purpose of teaching kids stories from the Bible and immersing them in new adventures. This week-long Vacation Bible School will begin July 8th, and it's only $10 per child. Register your little explorer today by visiting livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. What's really at the heart of this story is what's going to happen to planet Earth? Is it going to be redeemed? Think about it. This, this week I was reading a, a commentator and he said, just think about it for a second. Think about if there was no Jesus. Just pause. Just ponder. Think about it. If there's no Jesus, what happens to this world? Where's it headed? What's going to happen? Well, what's, what's the question that's before us is, okay, is there someone who can redeem this place? You know, look around. You see what's happening, right? And we keep hoping some man's going to show up and fix it, but... I'm sure you've noticed, track record's not real great on people fixing this place. So Jesus is going to take center stage with this scroll, and uh, the transaction is the question, can it be transacted? In other words, can, can the earth experience a full redemption? Is there going to be a resurrection and a rapture? Is there going to be a regeneration of this planet? Will there be new heavens and new earth wherein righteousness dwells? Will there be a golden age? where we will experience what this world was supposed to be. Will Eden be restored? Those are the questions that linger over the text. Is there anyone worthy to open the scroll, break its seals, Revelation 5, verse 3? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or the scroll and to look into it. No one. The angel asked the question, who is worthy? And a universal search ensues. Heaven, earth, under the earth, everywhere. It's scoured. The universe is searched. Is there someone worthy to do this rite of redemption, to buy back a planet that was lost by the sin of Adam and Eve? Is there anyone worthy? And there's no one. And so John, remember, has been catapulted into heaven in the spirit. Uh, He is seeing things, but yet remains on the island of Patmos. Um, He's seeing, you know, a glimpse into heaven. And when he hears what goes on and he knows what this title deed represents and he hears the proclamation and no one is found worthy, John begins to cry. Look at verse four. It's, it's, he says, I, John, he's our author, began to weep greatly. The word greatly is polos in Greek. It means it was much weeping. It has the idea of large because no one was found worthy to open the book or the scroll or to look into it. The word weeping is a word that means to wail uncontrollably in despair. It's the same word used for when Jesus looked over Jerusalem and was weeping over the city because they had missed the time of their visitation. 
Great weeping. Why? Because John is thinking about the implications just like you a few moments ago thought about if there was no Jesus. What would happen to the planet? No one's found worthy, and John begins to sob and cry and wail out loud, and his reaction tells us a lot about the significance of this scroll and what it means to mankind, to the world. If this scroll and these seals can't be broken, then the world is doomed. If you like the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the kids begin to go into Narnia and they, they begin to find out why it's always cold and there's the the white witch and everything. The response is that it's always winter and never Christmas here. And I wrote a tract around Christmas time to, to reach out with the gospel to people and using this image of the land of Narnia where it's always winter and never Christmas is how the world would be if there's no redemption. It will just continue in this spiral. The grave will never be satisfied. People are dying left and right. Sin will never be, you know, fully dealt with. You know, you can think of the implications, but we have really good news. That's not our story. Our Redeemer lives, right? And in my flesh, I will see God, says Job. And one of the elders said to me, and we don't know who the elders are. Conjecture, maybe they're ancients, like angels. Maybe they are you know, the 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs. Uh, interestingly enough, I was reading a, a commentary by Morris, and he conjectured that maybe the one who shares this with uh, John is Judah, because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Just kind of interesting. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. This has the idea of a command. Stop crying, John. Behold, look, you missed something. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, from the line of David, has, past tense, overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Don't cry anymore, John. Hail, hail to the lion of Judah. How many of you remember it? How wonderful you are. Man, all of a sudden, he sees this lion. Again, I go back to the Chronicles of Narnia, right? The lion. Oh, I love it. Don't you love it when he eats the witch at the end of the movie? Rawr, rawr. She's this evil, wicked thing, and he just... Rawr, 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 rawr. Yeah! It's good. Anyway. One is worthy. One has conquered. His name is Jesus. Take another look, John, because this one was prophesied, the scepter, Genesis 49.10, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He's the root of David. The, the scepter won't depart from the line of David, and more specifically from the line of Judah. Take another look. The lion has conquered. Sometimes we look at the world, we look at what's going on, and we just want to cry. When we're discouraged, we need to see heaven again for what it says. Jesus has conquered. The banner of Judah was a lion, the king of the beasts, and Jesus Christ has conquered. And Shiloh, until Shiloh comes, probably means something like this, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. From the kingly lineage of the tribe of Judah, it's Davidic, 
You can write down Revelation 22:16, the lineage or offspring of David. The Bible says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what? Prince of Peace. And he will reign on David's throne, Luke 1.33, as the angel Gabriel tells Mary about her coming son. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, the rightful king has conquered. He's crowned with glory and honor. He tasted death for each one of us. And I saw, says John, verse 6, between the throne and the elders, with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb. Wait a minute, John. I thought that you were just told about a lion. Wouldn't you expect that the Bible would say, and I turned and I saw a lion? <laughs> But he turned and looked, and he saw a lamb. A lamb standing as if slain, and notice, yet alive, it's standing, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, just remember, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. The Bible is giving us symbolic language to describe spiritual realities with human terms, and sometimes done in symbolism. And so the number seven comes up in this book over and over again. And here's what this means. Seven horns, mark it down. Horns in the Bible speak of power, authority, and even military might. Seven eyes speak of omniscience, all seeing. Uh, here it's represented the Holy Spirit a few times in this book. And it speaks of omniscience. Here are two of the omni-attributes of God I mentioned on Sunday, if you were with us, from Psalm 139. God is all-knowing, omniscient, and He is omnipotent, or all-what-powerful. These two omni-attributes are attributed to who here? Jesus Christ, which means Jesus is God. See, when we say Jesus is God, we're not just pulling stuff out of the air, folks. Jesus has omni-attributes, all power, all knowledge. He is God. You know, as we think about the power of the book of Revelation, it is about the end times. It is about our future. But it is also a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, his nature, his deity. It's so exciting to see what the Bible says about the one who came into this world, was incarnated, became flesh, and died for us. He is God. And God came down. God came down in human flesh to save us. It, it's, it's incredible. What a great God and Savior that we serve. Well, hey, I want to thank you for listening to Walk in Truth. I'm Pastor Michael Lance from Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, California. And considering Independence Day tomorrow, I think we all could say we'd like to thank the Lord for the freedoms that we have in this great country. Like the freedom that we talk about in our faith in Jesus Christ, we read about if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Well, it's an awesome freedom to put the Bible on public radio. This is a right that we have here in the United States. Some countries don't have that right. Let's take advantage of it. Let's celebrate it. 
let's exploit it. And if you would be considering partnering with Walk in Truth, that would be awesome because we want to maximize our opportunities. We'd like to get this program into more areas. So pray for us and consider partnering with us. You can donate when you go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. And I want to remind you parents that we have a great vacation Bible school going on at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. It's only $10 per child. And when your child comes on out going into kindergarten or going into sixth grade, all the way through those age groups, they will experience roar. July 8th through the 12th, life is wild, God is good. Why should I bring my child to VBS or Vacation Bible School? Well, to get deeper in the Word of God. A lot of children make a first-time commitment to the Lord at VBS, and also because it will give your child an anchor as they can see that life is sometimes unpredictable. There's frustrations and worries and all of that, but though life is wild, God is good. You can sign up your child for Vacation Bible School by downloading our app, On the App Store, look for the red logo with the pillars, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Or you can find out more information when you go to the website, walkintruth.com, and just click on the Visit tab when you're there. Now tune in again tomorrow to this great station as we conclude the teaching in Revelation chapter 5, learning more about how Jesus is the Lamb and He is worthy of our honor and praise. Look forward to joining you tomorrow. Until then, may God richly bless you. We'll catch you there. Remember, to learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, podcast, or to donate, visit walkintruth.com. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.